Whoops. Something's buzzing, Mark. Or is it just my tinnitus? That's all the time, too, so I can't tell. Good? I'll try to speak loud. Uh, we are in Philippians chapter 2 this morning, and Jackie asked me to read the whole chapter. Uh, boy, what a chapter. So many good words in this. Uh, before, while you're turning to Philippians 2, I just want to put an extra plug in. Levi mentioned the worship community uh, gathering Saturday, 11 o'clock. Uh, we're going to have a, Tyler's going to present uh, a teaching that he got when he went to the uh, worship conference last, uh, when was that? Last fall, I think. And uh, so there'll be some teaching, and then we're going to have, have a lunch. Uh, you know, just the usual ribeye steak and garlic mashed potatoes and uh, cheesecake and just the normal stuff. Uh, and by the way, the worship community involves everything they're doing back there. Mark and Stephanie on the uh, doing the slides and the sound, uh, as well as musicians and singers. So if you have any inclination whatsoever to get involved or desire to to be a part, there's lots of opportunities and and a lot of need for this very important ministry. So uh, come and join us Saturday. Chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, through, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world." holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. 
Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you to Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such, and, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for uh, these encouraging words that we read in Philippians 2. And uh, right now, Lord, uh, just thank you that we can open up your word and that uh, your Holy Spirit has something here for each one of us right now, something that, uh, that we need special from you. Lord, I pray that your word would be anointed as it goes out, that it would fall on hearts that are soft and tender and desiring to, to uh, be more like you. Pray for your anointing on Jackie. Lord, I pray for your anointing on our ears as we hear your word and that we could become more like you because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've been working our way through the uh, beautiful book of Philippians, one of the things that we've been challenged with is this concept of changing the way we think. And if we can learn to do that, if we can learn to change the way we think about things, then God can change our heart. Sometimes we sit around and we want this uh, magical, mysterious uh, touch of God to just randomly take away whatever things we don't like in life or about our personality or whatever. But the reality is God uses the circumstances of our life to accomplish a change in character within us. That's what the scripture lays out. So we count it all joy when various trials come into our life. Why? Because those trials produce patience and patience produces perseverance. Perseverance brings hope and hope does not disappoint, for the love of God is poured out in your life by the Holy Spirit, which is given to you. So God wants to accomplish things in us. We need to change the way we think. And the primary way we need to change the way we think is to start to think that our joy is anchored in Christ, rather than our joy is anchored in anything else. Our joy can't be in our marriage. Our joy can't be in our 
wealth, our joy can't be in our job, our joy can't be in all those other things, because all those things can change. Our joy needs to be in Christ. And if our joy is in Christ, we won't look for it somewhere else. Does that mean we can't have joy in our marriage? Sure. You absolutely can. You can also have joy in your job and in your wealth and all those other things. But they cannot be the source of your joy. Because if they're the source of your joy, then you have a black September, black Friday in September, and all your wealth is gone. And then what? No joy? And our lives seem to follow that roller coaster, don't they? Highs, high highs, low lows. We get high high when things are good, man. Woo! We're, we're just trucking with the Lord. Things are great. We're excited. We're happy. We're, we, we have joy. But then when that changes, that all gets erased. And Paul wants us to understand that that doesn't have to get erased. If your joy is in Christ, Christ is always the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. So if our joy is in Him, we can, we can have that. We can have that joy all the time, even <clears throat> when we lose it all. No matter what, because it's not anchored in that, it's anchored in Christ, and Christ hasn't changed. And so we need to change the way we think. It's not my things, it's not my stuff, it's not this person, it's not this other thing that are all going to finally bring satisfaction and joy in my life. It's when I really pursue Christ. I want to lay hold of Him. I want to apprehend Him. I want to abide in Him. I want to find my joy. For the Scripture declares to us the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? So we want to find that place, that joy with Him. So, But we can sacrifice our joy. This is what Philippians has been telling us. We sacrifice our joy when we are filled with selfish ambition. It's, it's a subtle change from Christ being central to you becoming central. So, so you won't even notice you did it. But all of a sudden, everything will be about you. How you feel, what you think, what happened to you, what, what was said about you, whatever things. You become central because now you've stepped into that central place and everything has become personal. We lost our centrality in Christ. And what did I sacrifice? Joy. It's off in the wind. That's why he calls us, he challenges us in Philippians to walk in humility, esteeming others as greater than yourself. Thinking about others first, not to let the sneaky little self, mine's good at it. It takes me all of about 0.5 seconds to start thinking about myself. Yeah? It doesn't take very long. So it's something that we have to change. I'm changing the way I think, right? I need to stay focused on the centrality of Christ. I want to walk in humility. I want to have genuine love one for another. Genuine love. That we care about one another. That we, that we are, are in a place where we want to express that love for one another. And not only that, he told us, we pray for one another that our love would increase. That's what he asked us to pray about. Hey, there's a lot of, there's no shortage of things to pray about, right? Have you, there's no shortage. There's lots of things. You, it's not hard to pray an hour a day. What? No, really. It's not hard. Just start thinking about people that are in need, the things that are going on, our nation, and then realize throughout scripture how God calls us to pray that our love would increase. Your love would increase. Mine would increase in what? Knowledge 
and discernment. Love without knowledge, what, what good is that? Love without discernment, then you're loving the unlovely, your, your things that shouldn't be loved. What shouldn't be loved? The stuff God doesn't love. What doesn't God love? Well, he doesn't love sin, does he? So we don't want to be a lover of sin. In fact, that was a condemnation. Jesus said that when he came into the world, men loved the darkness rather than the... So they were in love with their sin, not with the truth. We don't want to love that. We want to love according to knowledge and discernment. We want to have our mind fixed on learning to be honestly caring for one another. Would sometimes mean you call a brother out and sometimes mean you recognize when somebody needs a hug and you give it to them. And don't be stingy with, with praise. Don't be stingy to encourage somebody. Don't be stingy to come alongside and say something nice. It's okay. I'm preaching to myself just so you know. I did this in the mirror before I came to church today. <laughs> so I'm like, come on, Jackie, come on. Because I, I am uh, the personality that I have always sees the wrong. First, I don't know. I think it's a, um, what do they call those? Generational curse. Grandpa gave it to dad, gave it to me maybe. I don't know. I blame it on them. So I did, a, we had a funeral yesterday. It was funny. And it was very well planned out, very well laid out. And so we're going through, and I was supposed to sing Amazing Grace at a particular part. And uh, I forgot. And so I skipped it. And I went on, and, and so eventually the first person who was willing to say, hey, you, you skipped the song, said, hey, you were supposed to sing Amazing Grace. And I go, oh, oh, you're right. You're sure, I'm sorry. I'll, we'll sing that right now. It's my wife's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Always looking for some way out, right? It was funny. Then we got into a whole... We all start laughing. I said, it's, it's, a, it's the woman you gave me, Lord, all those things that we do. <laughs> right? But the reality is, man, we need, to, we need to be able to give, praise, provide, correction, love each other. It, should, it can all happen. It's not one or the other. According to Philippians, we can have it all. And the, and the way that we do it, here's the changing of your mind part. The ultimate end for you has to be Jesus Christ. When Paul said, for me to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. The, the die part is, is, is easy to say. Maybe it's harder to do. But let's go back to the first part. For me to live is Christ. Is that it for you? Is Christ it for you? Is that the to live? So we have a lot of things we want. A lot of things... Those can be subordinate ends, but the chief end needs to be the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who declared from the cross that I'm forgiven. He paid that price. I love that song. I love that song because I am the dude who held the nail. I'm the guy pounded into his hand. You blame whoever you want to for the crucifixion of Christ. It's my sin, my wretchedness. And the people who recognize that also recognize the beauty of forgiveness. And it's not hard to make someone who has provided that our chief end. And if he's my chief end, that's my chief end, then I want to exalt him. That's it. 
I exalt Christ. And when I exalt Christ, all the other things flow down from that. If I exalt self, nothing good comes out of that. I exalt self and nothing comes flowing down. Just frustration, anger, bitterness. I exalt Christ. Love, patience, perseverance, right? All these hope, all these things flow from Him to us. So we want to exalt that. This is what Paul's been challenging us with. He's been challenging us with, because as we exalt Christ, he says the whole world one day is going to bow the knee, right? For every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, yeah? For the chief end, for the glory of God, to glorify the Lord God Almighty. So he calls us then, rely completely on the Lord. You can't do it. You can't say, I'm going to set my willpower. We don't have none of that. We don't. Not for spiritual things. I don't care what you think. We don't have the willpower. What we need is Holy Spirit power. And where we, where we receive Holy Spirit power is as we're exalting Christ. And we're making Him our, our, our ultimate end. And our joy is in Him. And that flows into us. It's natural. It's natural. For it is God who wills. Right? It's God moving and working. We need Him empowering us, relying on Him. And so we come to where we are today. Two examples of two ministers that Paul lays out and says, like these guys. He's just laid out all these things we've talked about in the first two chapters. You know, quick little, uh, what do you call it, babe? You're not listening? Put your phone away. I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry, hon. It doesn't matter. It's gone now. It, it flew away. It flew away. Anyways, we're looking at this and we're saying, okay, so give, us, give, me, give me an idea. He's going to give us some practical ideas we look at here in, uh, in Philippians chapter 2 from 19 to 30. That's where we'll be focused today. So he gives us first, he, he talks about Timothy. Here's our example. All these things we've been talking about. Now, what does that look like practically in, in a person's life? So let's look a little bit at Timothy's background. <clears throat> we meet Timothy in Acts 16. In Acts chapter 16, uh, beginning at verse 1, it says, Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Well, that means his dad did not believe. He was well spoken of by the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So the idea, Paul says, he meets this guy on a missionary journey, young disciple, young guy. His mother's a Jew, that means he has... A Jewish heritage, and in order that there wouldn't be a hindrance to him ministering to Jews as well as Gentiles, he has them circumcised and he brings them along with him. He brings them along. He wants, he wants Timothy there. One of the goals when we think about how is it that we're supposed to minister. So that's a fancy word that means serve. Okay? So when somebody says they're a minister, that just means I'm a servant. That's all, it, that's what the word means. Diakonos, someone who serves. 
How is it that we're supposed to serve? We should constantly be looking for someone to pour into. Not just me to you, but you to your neighbor. You to the person around you. You for someone that you can encourage, pour into, and lift up. We need to always be multiplying what God has shown us. And this is what Paul's doing. 1 Timothy 1-2, it says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. So Paul's poured into Timothy so much, he, he almost feels like it's his natural son. But it's his spiritual son. This young man growing up uh, uh, right before Paul in the ministry, which simply means the willingness to serve Jesus Christ. See, we're all in the ministry. We're all in the, either we're all here to serve Jesus Christ or we're not. But if you're not here to serve Jesus Christ, then who are you serving? Uh, we just said we're supposed to exalt Him. What's one of the ways we exalt Christ? Lift Him up. We serve Him. Well, how can I serve Christ? I don't, I don't know how to serve Christ. I don't work at the church. That's not a requirement. You serve Christ when you're a, a husband who loves his wife. You serve Christ when you're a father who raises his children. A, a, a mother who's a, a part of the family helping out, doing the things like a Proverbs 31 woman. Everybody gets all uptight. So don't get up. I'm going to give you one thing not to get uptight about. Send me the email later. A woman can stay home and take care of her kids or a woman can go to work. Read Proverbs 31. The woman in Proverbs 31 considers a field, buys it. She's conducting business. And she's still mom. Or you can stay home. I, there's no problem. Zero problem. Either way. If you're what? Exalting Christ. Love your family. Exalt Him wherever we go. We got to stop in the in a body of Christ. We get all these little divisions where we start shooting at each other. Oh, you work. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Why you got to do that? Just encourage each other. One way or the other. It doesn't make any difference. Now, you know, one of the... <laughs> It's so natural for us to do this. Take these little pot shots at each other. Somebody has two kids. Somebody has 40 kids. And the, and the people with 40 kids look at the people with two kids and say, well, you couldn't trust Jesus. And the people with two kids are thinking, what is wrong with you people? Why can't we just encourage each other? Do you not believe that Jesus Christ calls us to different things, different roads, different choices in our life? You don't believe that? You think we're all cut out of a piece of paper, all exactly the same? Look, none of you is sitting there going, oh, I wish I was like Jackie. I wish I, I was fat with a beard and a silly little ponytail in the back of my head. <laughs> Look. We're diverse in the body of Christ. Don't take these pot shots at each other, okay? That's one of the things that Paul's going to refer to that we need it. So what do we do? How do we do it? Encourage each other. Encourage each other. To do what? Exalt Christ. Where's our centrality? Is our centrality in the size of our family? Is our centrality in our occupation? Is our centrality in what we look like? Where's our centrality? Our centrality is Christ. And if Jesus Christ is exalted, even Paul could say, I rejoice. No matter what they look like. Or why they do it. 
I rejoice because Christ is exalted. Well, Timothy, again, a true son under Paul. In 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, Paul says to Timothy, Let no one despise your youth. So we know he's a young man. But set the believers an example in what? Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. About what you say. What is it it that Paul told us? How did he tell us to speak? Ephesians chapter 4. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Now that is not only about cursing. And in fact, it's probably less about cursing than it is about what he says next. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, except such as is good for edification, building up, encouraging, that it may give grace to the one who hears. That's how we're supposed to talk. Giving grace. Pouring out love and encouragement. I have a son who has autism. If I run into his room, start screaming, clean up your room, get dressed, what's wrong with you? All I get is that back. And what do we have? Just a bunch of chaos. Or we can go in and give encouraging words. So what if it takes longer? You got somewhere to be? So that you can be rude to people? Well, Paul told Timothy, love people and what you say. Be, be thinking about your speech. Be thinking about your conduct, how you live. Be thinking about your love. Be thinking about your faith, how you live out the faith. And be thinking about walking in purity. Look, we can't walk in sin. You don't get that pass. You don't get to just go, oh, it doesn't matter what I do. I can just do whatever because Jesus loved me. So I'm going to just live with this woman or I'm just going to live with this man or, or whatever things. Our whole world is all tossed up by all these screwed up weird relationships. Men with men, women with women, men with women, women with men. doesn't make any difference. If it's outside of what God has said, it's sin. I don't care what you want to call it. Period. How do you exalt Christ? By walking in obedience to what he said. We understand that in our normal earthly relationship, right? If, if, I, if my wife wants to think I love her, then she does not just want to hear the word. What does she want to see? She wants to want to see me loving her. How do I love her? I pay attention. I listen. I'm engaged in the things that please her. And then I want to do those things to show her I love her. It's not complicated. The complicated part is changing your mind so that you're not so focused on yourself. We want to learn to live. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, 2. He he picks it up. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father... And Christ Jesus our Lord, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And I remember your tears. He's telling Timothy, I remember your tears. One of the things you'll discover when you get saved, you put your, your total heart, life, soul into the hands of Jesus Christ that you will cry like a baby. Amen. All the time. It's embarrassing. 
But there are times when a, there were t- there were times when I used to do worship where I literally could not sing a song because I was bawling. And everybody would wonder if Jackie forget the words. No, he's crying. He can't sing when he's crying. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. So, so I just stop. Look, he says, I remember your tears, Timothy, because when the Holy Spirit's moving in your life, there's tears. Not every day, every moment, all the time. But you know it when it happens. You know because Jesus Christ touches you and you weep. I long to see you, Paul says, that I may be filled with joy. So he rejoiced over his relationship with Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelled at first in your grandmother. So this was something passed on from mom and grandma to him. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. That's what God gives us. This is how we be these examples. So look, Philippians 2.19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. Paul wanted the Philippians to know, look, I can't be everywhere all the time. The Philippians wanted to see him, and Paul wanted to go, but he was in prison. So sometimes you just can't be where everybody wants you to be. Anybody else realize that? We can't always do what everyone wants us to do. There was a man that I was discipling out of jail. And he would call me every two days and need to get together. And we spent a lot of time together for probably four or five years. But I had to tell him, look, there's 300 other people in church who all want some time. And I can't spend all my time with you. I can't spend it all. So I can send you Timothy. That's why we raise people up. It's why we raise up Levi. It's why we raise up Jason. That's why we raise up other men and women within the body of Christ. Because one person cannot do it all. Paul couldn't. He said, I, I would long to send for you Timothy. I want to send him. And that's the desire to send him was, was based on Paul's confidence in the Lord and what God had done in Timothy's life. So he's saying, man, Timothy, you can go. In, in Philippians 2, 23 and 24, <clears throat> talking about this same idea, Paul says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. He wants to know if he's getting his head lopped off or getting loose. He gets loose this time. This is not the time he loses his head. So he says, as soon as I find out what's going to happen with me, I'm going to send him. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul's desire was to come. Paul's desire was to be able to be there as well. This is what James talked about in the book of James. What is that? When you make plans, recognize that it's God who wills and does. God is moving and working. And sometimes, occasionally, our plans butt up against His purposes. Have you ever had that happen? So what is it that James told us? He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, make, make profit, make some money. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, 
If the Lord wills, we will do this. If the Lord wills, we will do that. Paul does that all the time. Look, it's my desire to send Timothy. I know you need somebody to be there to help you, to encourage you. And I want to receive the joy when Timothy goes and then I get word back about how things are going. But he says, in and through all of that, the purpose is God's. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. My wife has been working feverishly to put together a bunch of pictures from Belize. So we could show you guys a little bit about the ministry in Belize and what was going on there. And today it was all done. And then she got this idea that she was, that was a little loud. So she was going to drop the volume and when she went to drop the volume, the whole thing went. Whoo. Oh. So I said, guess God doesn't want us to show that. At least not right now. And it doesn't make no sense to get upset. Scream at Apple. It's probably a conspiracy. <laughs> but no, what do we want? We just say, you know what? If the Lord wills, we'll get it together. If He don't and won't, we'll try. If it falls short, then we'll keep moving with what's in front of us. We'll keep moving with what's going on in front of us. So, Paul wants the Philippians to receive the help that Timothy can give. He wants him to be able to work with them. Why? Why is it, that, why is it Timothy? Look at verse 20, Philippians 2. For I have no one like him. No one same-souled. That's the word in Greek, same-souled. No one like him. No one, no one, he's just really, he's really, he's the guy for this deal. He might not be the guy for the next deal. Later on, Paul's going to send Titus somewhere else. Why does he send Titus? Because now Titus is same soul. He's the guy. He's the one. He's the one that the Lord has. But here is Timothy. I have no one like him, same soul, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. See, this is an example of how we're supposed to be. Paul looks around and says, man, so-and-so has a need. Timothy, you're the guy because I know you genuinely care about their welfare. It's not about what it, how it looks on your what it, metal for your chest or whatever you think you're going to get. If you, if you do anything, if you serve the Lord for medals, you are going to be sorely disappointed. No good deed will go. Um, see, you guys know it. And we're the ones doing the punishing. I wish we'd stop. But a little bit of human nature in there, right? But he says to Timothy, it's not about whether he's going to get a medal. What's it about? He genuinely cares, right? He genuinely cares about their welfare. So he's like, man, I want to, I want to be there. So Paul says, he's the guy. For they all seek their own interests. Oh, what does that mean? For they all, all kinds of people seek their own interest. Christians seek their own interests. <clears throat> Unbelievers seek their own interests. All kinds of people seek their own interests. They get caught up in self. It becomes about self. Everything's about how I feel. Everything's about how it affects me. But what is it that he's wanting from us? Look at the very next phrase. Not those of Jesus Christ. Exalt Christ, not self. Exalt Christ, not 
self. Hasn't he been going over that already in chapter 2? No selfish ambition, but esteem others as greater than yourself. Don't worry about what's coming back to you. Worry about what you are giving to others. Because Galatians 6 is still true. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows... So instead of worrying about what you're harvesting, start worrying about what you're planting. So, keep sowing, keep sowing, and keep sowing, because you will receive a harvest. That's what God's word declares. You will receive a harvest. But his word also declares to be patient, like the farmer that gets paid once a year. Sow and work and sow and take care of and sow and watch over and sow and eventually there will be a harvest. This is what the Word of God teaches us. We want to sow genuinely concerned for others. We want to also be focused on Christ, exalting Him. But you know Timothy's proven worth. So he's saying to the Philippians, you know Timothy... How a son with a father, he has served me with the gospel. Now here's the interesting thing. A lot of people in ministry, which means serving Christ, a lot of people in serving Christ will be committed, but not submitted. What's that mean? Well, we want our own kingdom. We want to do it our own way. And we can be committed to Christ... But we're not submitted like a son to a father. He says of Timothy, Timothy's he's he's with me like a son to a father. What does that mean? That means he he strives to honor his father and and do it his father's way. When I was coming up in ministry at Joshua Springs, I served at Joshua Springs for 13 years as an associate pastor. And my role at Joshua Springs as an associate pastor was to hear what Gerald wanted and then do it. Gerald was my pastor. So whatever it was. Now, maybe I didn't like it. Maybe I thought, this is dumb. Maybe I thought, this we shouldn't do it this way. But it didn't matter. The role of a servant is to be committed to Christ and submitted to leadership. Means, I do it their way. Now, nobody has to be there, do they? You People can go anywhere they want to. But if you're going to function together on the same team, you all got to run the same play. Do you know that? You all got to run the same play. I coached football for a lot of years. And you had one guy call the play. You could not have a huddle where one guy come in and call the play and then somebody else said, no, let's do this play. And then another guy said, no, we should do this play. And then another guy says, we'll do that play. And then they go, break. And everybody goes back to line and says what? What are we doing? (laughs) One guy calls the play. And everybody functions together as a team to accomplish that play. Whatever it is. And either you come and you go, you know what? I can get behind what's going on. I can get behind what wants to be done. And then you just throw your effort in and we all work together and we accomplish it. And if it's not your gig and it's not that, and you don't like that, <clears throat> don't cause a bunch of division. 
Find a team that you function with. There's no such thing as just one team. There's a church down the way. They're part of this, they're part of us, body of Christ. They got a different guy calling calling the plays, but it's not better. And it's not worse. It's just different. So we don't take pot shots over there. They don't take pot shots over here. We're functioning, following one Savior, exalting Christ. That's our unity, right? Paul says of Timothy, what was the blessing of Timothy? Man, he is like a son to a father. He he can function. Him and I make a good team. Because I can say, Timothy, go and do this. And I know Timothy will go do it. That's how a team functions. That's how it works. If you've ever been on a championship team, that works beautifully. You ever been on a losing team? It doesn't work at all. I coached them all. But there's always somebody who thinks he knows different or better, and he's going to do his own thing. And it always disrupts the team. It always starts to break down and fall apart. So Kathy and I have this saying. We want people who are committed and submitted. We're not, I am not a tyrant. Trust me. Anybody who does anything with me in ministry, I, there's more freedom than you can even imagine. So we can, but we have, it just all has to go in one direction. Together. This is what Paul says. Timothy is the guy. Look at Timothy, man. He'll do these things. He'll follow these things like a father, uh, like a son to a father, committed and submitted. So he says in 23, right? I therefore hope to send him as soon as I <clears throat> see how it will go for me. And I trust that the Lord, uh, that shortly I myself will come also. So that's a picture of Timothy. That's how Timothy's walking what we've talked about in Philippians. Next we see Epaphroditus in verse 25. He says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. So Paul's calling all these things are synonymous with the idea of ministry. He is my brother. He is a fellow worker. Diakonos, servant, minister. He is a fellow soldier walking with Christ. Working our way through. And he is your messenger and minister to my need. So Epaphroditus had been sent from Philippi to minister to Paul while he was in jail. Which usually meant, the way they did jail is you were in jail and they don't feed you. We don't do that here. You go to jail, you get three hots and a cot, right? A lot of baloney. You guys didn't know that? Don't act like y'all ain't never been in jail. (laughs) Lots of baloney. (laughs) Anyways, you get three hots and a cot, and so, but in those days they didn't do that. So if you wanted to be fed, people had to come bring food. If you wanted to be clothed, people had to come bring clothes. Or you would just stand around naked. There's some countries still like that. That you get put into prison. There's no meal coming unless your family brings food. So here the, the 
Philippi sending people to Paul. And the person they sent was Epaphroditus. For he has been longing for you, in verse 26. He has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So Epaphroditus goes to Paul. Now let me tell you, I just want you to kind of think of what the world was like then. Put your head in what's going on. (coughs) Philippi, they are in Philippi bringing Christians into the um, arena and having them fight with uh, uh, gladiators. I've been in the arena in Philippi. I stood in the place where their blood was spilt. And so this was a common practice. There was a lot of, of struggling going on. So the church was, in large part, underground, functioning underground. So whether or not you were a Christian and wanting to let everybody know you were a Christian was, was a tender subject, right? Because if, they, if the wrong person finds out, you could end up in the arena facing some gladiator. Of course, they don't give you a sword, and if they did, you probably wouldn't be very good with it. But the gladiator is. So now you have a church in Philippi giving a gift to send it to Paul. You don't think Roman soldiers are looking at who's coming to see Paul? Paul, Paul, this is a guy who's getting this whole church thing kicked off. You don't think their name's going on a list? Who came to see him? Epaphroditus. We know he's a Christian. Timothy. We know he's a Christian. So it was a big deal to go take something into prison where Paul was and visit him. So Epaphroditus goes. And while he's there, he gets sick. He gets ill. Look what the scripture says. Indeed, he was ill near to death. So he got sick and almost died. Just to bear witness, let everyone know that he's a believer in Jesus Christ by bringing food and clothing and probably writing materials to Paul while he's in prison. That was his service. It doesn't say he preached along the way or did anything. What he did was exalt Christ by serving a brother. That was in need. He exalted Christ by serving a brother as in need. And his reward was he almost died. He's sick, near unto death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but me also. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul doesn't want anybody to die to come bring him food. Does he? No, because he cares about Epaphroditus the same way Epaphroditus cares about him. Even though they probably never met until he got there with food. But he he said, that's my brother. I love my brother. And so I'm going to bring him food. And so he gets sick and he almost dies. And you have Paul praying for him and, and God ultimately healing him. He doesn't die. And so Paul says in verse 28, So I am more eager to send him, therefore. I want him to come home. I want to send Epaphroditus that you may rejoice at seeing him again. What does he want them to do? He wants them to rejoice. What are you supposed to do when you see a brother? What are you supposed to do when you see a sister? Don't go to the store, look down on go, Oh, no. Oh, look who it is. Oh, I hope they don't see me. Change the way you think. And God will change your heart. 
He says, rejoice when you see Epaphroditus. Rejoice when you see him. And Paul's excited. He says, I want to get him home because I'm a little anxious that he might get sick again. And I'd rather he was sick with you than sick with me. I'm a little anxious. I'm a little strung out. I'm a little worried about his condition. So I want him to go and I want you to rejoice over him. <clears throat> so he says in verse 29, so receive him in, uh, receive him in the Lord with all joy. <clears throat> Did you catch the key? I, I give you a little grief about the person in the store or that person maybe you're not longing to see. But look what it says. Receive him in who? Who are you exalting? Yourself? Then you see the person and run the other way. You want to exalt Christ? See the person and receive him with joy. You want to exalt Christ? Is it going to cost you something? Sure. Is that a problem? David said, I won't give anything to the Lord that costs me nothing. I want to, I want to give that which is costly. Receive him in the Lord with all joy. And then look at the next phrase. Not just receive him in joy. What's the next one? Honor all such men. All such men. What such men? Such men like Epaphroditus. Who what? Who cared about a brother enough to try to do something loving for him. Honor such men. And that word men does not just mean men. Mankind. Humankind. Honor people who give of themselves for others. Honor them. For in this case, by trying to help me, he almost died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And that doesn't mean that they hadn't done enough for him. It means he was bringing their offering to him. And the only way the offering got there was you could not text it. Could not put it on a UPS truck. How did what they, the food they had for Paul, how's it get to him? Somebody's got to take it. And when somebody takes it, the Romans are watching. And they're not thinking, oh look, an unbeliever is bringing food to Paul. Are they? Oh no, look, we've got more Christians. Make a list. Because eventually Nero's going to want to find all these guys. No? Six million Christians died during that period of time. Yet there's people who are willing to say, I'll go. I'll go, I'll go take them food. I want to be numbered with Christ. I want to exalt Christ. There are people who are willing to say, you know what, I'm going to receive him in joy. I want to receive him in joy. I want to exalt Christ. So I want to rejoice when I see them. I want to exalt Christ. So I'm going to love my brothers and sisters because when I love them, I exalt Christ. When I genuinely care about my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm exalting Christ. Look, this is not hard. You don't got to go through your entire life and be perfect. If we did, we'd all be hung. Because none of us is going to be perfect. Until we see Him. When we see Him, we may not be perfect, but can you exalt Christ? He says this, Paul says, In everything you do, do all as unto Christ. Right? 
Can I exalt Christ by the way I work in my job? Sure. Can I exalt self? Yeah. One, I'll have joy. The other, my joy will be robbed. Can I exalt Christ in my marriage? Absolutely. Just got to change the way I think. Not think about me, but think about Christ. Because I want to exalt Christ, man, I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I'm going to exalt Christ in the simple things that we can do. It's all exalting Him. It's not about, I'm going to learn a new language and travel far away and go into the jungle where the pygmies are and I'm going to bring them a gospel that they've never heard of. What if we just love each other for a while? Is that okay if we start there? If God wants to do that other stuff, He'll raise it up. But you're not ready for the pygmies in Africa. (laughs) Unless you can see your brother or sister rejoice that you saw them and express genuine concern for their well-being. And that all comes by exalting Christ. Not me. Exalting Him. And this is what Philippians is trying to teach. Is trying to teach us how to have joy. You want to have joy? Exalt Christ. You want to be able to rejoice? Exalt Christ. You want to see God move in your life in incredible ways? Exalt Christ. Take self off the throne. Keep Jesus there. He's better at it. No, I can testify. I, every time I run my life, I ruin it. I mess it up. But if I exalt him. And look, there's, can any of us go backwards? Can you go backwards? You might be able to walk backwards. Can you go backwards in time? Can you change what you did yesterday? Ten years ago, a year ago? I can't change none of that. What can I do? Paul said, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. But this one thing I do, I forget the things that are behind me that I can't do nothing about. Right? And I press on. I move forward and do now the things I know to do. Exalt Christ. Paul says, I keep my eyes on him and I walk for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus my Lord. I'm walking to Jesus. I can't fix my choice of yesterday. But I can fix the one I'm going to make in 10 minutes. I can exalt Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we lift this time to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can study your word. We thank you for these first two chapters. Working our way through Philippians, God. And I pray, Lord, that this very practical book will get down into us. Change the way I think. Because me is so easy and others is so hard. So God, I want to change the way I think. I want to exalt you. And your word declares that if I exalt you, then you begin to change me. You pour out your love in me. You pour out your energies in me. I'm able to love my neighbor and love my brothers and sisters and love 
my wife, all because you, Lord Jesus, pour your love in me. And you do it by way of the Holy Spirit. God, you declared in your word, if, if I am asked by my child for a piece of bread, I don't give him a stone. If he asks me for a fish, I don't give him a scorpion. And then you said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? Change my mind, God. I need your Holy Spirit moving and working in me. I need your love so that I can love others. I need your concern so I can be concerned for others. Everything that you ask me to do, you provide me. <clears throat> so God, help me set aside my will, my desire, my me altogether. Help me exalt you. Make it about you, Lord. Let me lift your name on high. Because God, I, I want you. To be exalted, not me. Who am I? I am a worm and no man. But you, you Lord, are to be exalted. Your name is the name by which all must be saved. For there is no name under heaven by which men must be saved. But by the name <coughs> Jesus the Christ. You are our salvation. You are my justification. You are my sanctification. You are my glorification. You are it. You're everything. So may I focus my eyes on you. May we focus our eyes on you and truly love one another and look for opportunities to bestow a good, kind word. Look for opportunities. And if our harvest has been bitter, then God's word would say, so more. Do not grow weary in doing good, for you will reap a harvest in time. So anyway, Lord God, I just pray that you would Minister to us. Lord, help us. Be the men and women you're asking us to be so that when we go to a world that doesn't know you or we go to someone who does, that we have a right word in season and out. So that you be glorified. God, as we close out this service with one final worship song and as Elders and prayer counselors are available. Lord, I pray anyone here who needs prayer would come forward and have a brother or sister pray for them. That's what we do for one another. We're family. So God, I pray be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.